millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to Seriously. We're in London, as you may all know, probably, and it's starting to get pretty Christmassy. What's that? I was going to say the song line. It's beginning to look a, a lot, lot like, like Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it is. You just, you walk around town and lots of pubs have like painted their windows with festive designs. Yeah, there's one on our road, isn't it? Mm. That looks well good in the window. And also people seem to be doing a lot more just drinking in the middle of the day, which is another sign that Christmas is nearly here. Yeah. And also I find now that if I go to the pub for a drink, I end up getting like really drunk <laughs> really quickly because I'm just like, I don't want to go outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll just stay have... here forever. It's warm in here. I need to have another drink so I can stay in here. Exactly. Yeah. But it looks really beautiful everywhere. Like the lights in London and stuff. It's really nice. And we work next to St. Paul's and like mm. St. Paul's looks amazing. So yeah, have you been doing any Christmassy activities? I've done a few. I have a friend whose birthday is in late November and she's obsessed with Christmas. So every year her birthday sort of marks the beginning of Christmas for us. So this year... For her birthday, we had loads of people around to the flat and we made like mulled wine and spiced rum and we all sat on the floor of our like tiny living room slash kitchen, you know, like next mm. to the dishwasher in the crumbs <laughs> with like loads of blankets. We made like mince pies. We also then made goat's cheese and onion tarts using the mince pie pastry. So they were a bit sweet. Bit sweet, bit sweet. <laughs> and candy canes. We had like a whole proper like festive feast and we all sat and drank and ate and watched Elf and it was like the perfect start to my Christmas feelings. That sounds lovely. At the moment I'm finding the whole concept of Christmas quite stressful because I sing in various choirs and stuff. So Christmas is a very busy time for me on that front. I do a lot of like charity concerts and you know corporate Christmas do's and stuff like that. Mm. There's a lot of like learning to sing terrible arrangements of jingle bells because that's what JP Morgan want for their Christmas <laughs> do and things that I do at this time of year oh, which God. kind of stresses me out. But it's always really nice on the night like when you're there at this big fancy Christmas party and and like everyone's having a lovely time and looks really nice and you're providing the happy music for it yeah but it sounds lovely it's just like being being in a cold church at 10 p.m on a wednesday night and having our conductor be like that was okay but can you sing it can you sing jingle bells again because i just didn't believe you (laughs) once more with feeling yeah pretty much (laughs) yeah oh bless what are you in the choir i sing alto 
Ah, yeah, I would have had you down as an alto, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the spirit of the season, the greatest gift that you could give to us listeners, we thought would come in the form of an iTunes review. Lots of you email and tweet us and stuff to say lovely things about the podcast, which is amazing, and we do really, really appreciate it. But part of the mission with this is to get more and more people listening and watching and reading all the things that we're suggesting and the best way to do that is actually to do your review on itunes so not to witter on about how you should do things for us but if you'd like to leave us an itunes review it'll make us happy happy christmas to all a good night anyway <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing we're going to talk about this week is a slightly odd one for us but we've both listened to three albums and we're going to talk about all three of those albums, aren't we? They've all been out relatively recently. Yeah, this year. This year, a couple of them actually quite recently. The three artists all have some things in common. They're all kind of female solo artists who do kind of interesting and experimental things. Yeah. So they are Joanna Newsom, Bjork and Grimes. And the album, so we've got Joanna Newsom's Divers, Bjork's, I'm going to say this wrong, I'm sure, Volnicura? Volnicura? I don't know, I've not heard anyone say it out loud. Vol- Volnicura? I don't know. Anyway, it's probably a mythology thing, isn't it, that I should know yeah. about, that I don't know about. <laughs> and Grimes's Art Angels. Yes. I actually have a quote from Grimes here, which I thought might be interesting to read, which like really blows this whole thing back in our face a bit. <laughs> so in the interests of, you know, not being biased, here she says on her Tumblr in February of 2014, I think. There's some language in this, guys. Go with it. <laughs> I hate it when people compare me to Bjork, not because I don't completely love Bjork and think that she's a fucking badass, but because it just seems like lazy journalism. Sorry. <laughs> I.e. any female artist who makes even remotely experimental music is constantly compared to Bjork by journalists who completely ignore the legacy of every other experimental female musician who isn't Bjork. Also, good luck ever being likened to a male musician. The media seems to think you can only be similar to musicians who have the same sex organs as you. I actually don't really see the point in comparing artists all the time, but whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, we're gonna... Sorry, sorry, Grimes. Ah, we're hurting your feelings. It feels bad. Also, Bjork is a really, really big deal. Yeah, and, and we love Bjork. And I wasn't... Actually, I didn't fully appreciate this until I was in New York in March of this year, and um, I was going to MoMA just to have a look around to like kill some time before I was meeting my friend and there was a Bjork exhibition that had just opened there kind of in the style of the big David Bowie one that they had at the yeah, BMA yeah, yeah. here you know like a kind of appreciation of her as like a kind of multi-disciplined artist and stuff mm-hmm. and the queue for it was like out the door it was on like the second floor and people were queuing out onto the street it was a massive big deal and I mentioned it to my friend I was like wow that Bjork exhibition she was like oh my god everyone won't shut up about it like it's the biggest thing yeah. happened in New York it doesn't right now. surprise me really but sometimes you do forget don't you but I think also something that is interesting is like these artists don't actually have that much in common no but what unites them weirdly is their like difference and I think that's yeah. why people instinctively want to compare these kinds of musicians, you know, like Joanna Newsom, like Bjork, like Grimes, even though that they know that they aren't actually that similar because what they're saying is here are three women who are like breaking out of, you know, certain constructs and, and musical confines and doing it really well. And isn't that interesting to think about? And I also think that partly what Grimes overlooks maybe in that quote is that I like all three of these artists. So I got into Joanna Newsom first of the three mm. and through that kind of found things that I liked about the other two mm. and I think I'm probably not alone in that in that I think there's probably a lot of crossover between their fans and that's because I like all those things you just said and they are all three of them whilst not kind of particularly unified in their musical style they are definitely like women who stand outside of the kind of mainstream I don't think any of their fans are comparing them they're just all appreciating all of them yeah for their, for their individual yeah. difference 
It's funny because I've also got something that Joanna Newsom said in an interview with one of our favourites, Tarvi Gevinson, over at Rookie. And Tarvi was asking her about people she likes. And she said, I'm really excited by the way that Grimes frames herself and seems utterly disinterested in her own beauty, which is really exciting to me. Sometimes it's useful for an idea and then other times it's not useful for an idea and she seems unaffected either way. I like her music as well. I like what she says. And that's something that I think all these three artists do is that they sort of project all these different versions of themselves mm. as a way of breaking out from the kind of self that you're, you're Bjork, expected to be. Let us not forget Bjork once went to an award ceremony dressed as a swan. Yeah. And not like dressed as a swan, like with a swan on, on her. her. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like something that's really interesting and actually comes through in all these three albums is this idea that there can be lots of different versions of mm. you and what does it mean to let go of old versions of you or embrace new versions of you and I think you know there's Joanna Newsom sort of and, it, and she doesn't directly compare herself to Grimes in that quote but she is saying like oh yeah I like the way she frames herself and I think there must be a recognition uh, on some level that Joanna Newsom likes that because she kind of does something similar exactly herself. yeah so let's talk a bit about the music. Yeah. Maybe if we take the Joanna Newsom album first. Yeah. This was actually my favourite of the three. Yeah, um, I love Joanna Newsom, so I'm a bit biased. Same. I, I worried actually when I was doing my listening whether, you know, I could have said that sentence before I listened to any of them. Yeah. And, and it still would have been yeah, true. Yeah, maybe it's you know a self-fulfilling I mean. prophecy in a sense. Because, yeah, I do totally love it. Um, if you don't know her, she is a sort of harpist slash singer-songwriter. She's got a real background in classical training, hasn't she? She does. I mean, I rank her up there with... There's a another sort of folky artist called Seth Lakeman, who he plays the violin and sings at the same time. Right. And he and Joanna Newsom are like, I, d- I just don't know how you do that. Like, I, I just can't see how but she... sometimes i say that kind of stuff to you or i'm like i don't know how singers do this and you're like literally it's the most natural thing in the world and I'm yeah like, but okay. <laughs> i play the violin i have played the harp i definitely couldn't sing at the same time yeah no it does seem like there's a whole lot of uh, you know different brain processes that have to be completely simultaneous and yeah natural. I, I just don't know how she, how she does it she's made as you say she's made lots of different kinds of music i personally identify most closely with the stuff that i think is on her second album is that wise yes mm. which is these long, like, eight, nine-minute songs, some of them, lots of, like, really big, swooping sounds, and the lyrics are, like, more like poems than lyrics. They're, like, Mm. long narrative verses that, like, tell a story about a thing Yeah, with lots of different musical ideas. You know, there's not really a kind of verse-chorus-verse-chorus structure a lot of the time. No. And that's my absolute favourite stuff of hers. Yeah, and this this album's quite different to those albums in a way, isn't it? Like, the songs are shorter, and it's just... I mean, for me, this this album felt quite unified musically. I don't know what. what yeah, you think. I I agree with that. I think she's worked quite a lot on her voice. It sounds like because one of the things is particularly apparent in her first album is that she has a very distinctive vocal tone, mm. and she quite likes like yelps and kind of squeaks and stuff and I always wondered the extent to which that was deliberate or whether that was just the noises that came out yeah I get the feeling that she's worked a lot on her kind of control because in this album she does do all those noises but in a way that you think like that's exactly when she wants that to sound like that yeah I read somewhere that because of her classical background she didn't feel like she could sing for a long time Mm. Uh, she was like, you know, the way that I was trained to sort of look at it was you play the harp for 20 years and then you can start recording playing you playing the harp once yeah. you've done that. And because she wasn't someone who'd been singing in the same way that she'd been playing the harp, it took a long time for her to be like, actually, you know, I could just give this a go. I think she was, she came to this stuff fairly late, I think, compared to, you know, a lot of the kind of like 16 year old pop stars. You get like someone like Grimes, obviously, yeah. who like started doing this stuff much younger. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's funny how she had to like, 
because it seems so instinctive and natural with her but she had to like force herself to embrace that side of her music I guess Mm. yeah she's also I saw her live once at I think it was the Latitude Festival and it was really funny because my me and my friend Nicola were so excited to Mm. see her she was basically the reason we got into the festival Mm. but she was playing at like midday on the main stage oh yeah (laughs) so there was there was almost no one else there and those people who were there were all like Lying on the floor, still hungover like from the night before. That's when I went to see Leanne before. Le Havis this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and so she had like a kind of string orchestra with her, but it was mostly just like her at the front playing her harp. A couple of times, she got halfway through one of her really long songs, and she was like, "Oh no, I've done it wrong," and she'd like <laughs> skip back four lines and be like, "I'm going to try that again." And oh, then, bless. so she was, she's obviously still very, very conscious and not feeling like I'm the singer that I could just like riff it you know one of the other things that i thought was interesting about this album i i i can't claim that this is my own thought i read a really interesting piece in slate uh about the fact that that she hasn't got a a picture of herself uh on the cover art and it's normally a portrait of her in some way yeah again in this interview for rookie she said she said she talked about it she said i've always claimed in the past that my album covers are are portraits of the narrator of the record the narrator of the record is me usually but me with a certain aspect really concentrated or exaggerated other aspects are removed because they're not relevant to the record. It's a stylized version of me every time. She says, that narrator is also housed within some framework that hints or points towards the vibe, the mood, or the feel of the record. This album cover is no different. So she's actually not explained it at all other than to say, like, these are all portraits of me and this one without my face is no different. Yeah. She's quite interesting. Um, and anyway, this writer in Slate basically start, compared it to, you know, the Ferrante novels. Yeah. And how everyone's like, oh, the covers are shit because they're, like, really tacky. And they really make them look sort of chiclety. Yeah. yeah. And he thinks that basically because both these female artists are engaged in like contradicting supposed ideas about like women's roles and stuff like that, that they're like playing a game with you. So they've got these quite twee, pretty Mm. covers. And actually the whole point is that the cover might not be what you expect or match up to your expectations of, of what's inside. There's a line in Divers where she says, I know we must abide each by the rules that bind us here, the divers and the sailors and the women on the pier. Because obviously the sort of narrative in that song is that she wants to marry the diver and she's the diver's wife and she kind of has to wait on the pier for him to come back up. Yeah. What did you think of Bjork's album? It was very Bjorky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really bad. But yeah. it had... But what is Bjorky? Because it's like quite hard to pin down Bjorkiness because her music varies so yeah, much. Yeah, I guess quite heavily electronic. Yeah. Really demanding and difficult vocal lines, unexpected use of sound. So like I'm thinking of, you know... There have been times when she's used like an entire big band in a song mm. um, and then other times where she's like only used multi-tracked versions of her own voice yeah. and stuff, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so I suppose whilst it's all new material, I didn't find it surprising particularly mm. in any Fair way. Enough. Like it felt aesthetically of a piece of what I know of her work before. Yeah, I felt like there was a, there was a lot of variation between individual songs as well on this one. I don't know if you felt that too, but I felt like it's all jumped around and hopped around mm, yes. a, a bit more i also found that a lot with grimes is like that there was no there wasn't a genre that i would be like oh yeah this grimes album is in this genre mm. i mean i guess i wouldn't for any of them but especially with grimes i felt with her i got the really strong sense of like maybe three different musical personalities mm. in it going on at once because it felt like there was maybe three or four songs on the album that worked together as a group spread out across the track mm-hmm. listing so that was quite nice actually because it meant that like you got one song like in one kind of mode and then you got another one and you're like oh yeah that's like that one we had before and yeah did you have like a standout track 
on the album or on any of um, these albums. I really liked the Grimes song that she does with Janelle Monet. Janelle Monet. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that was Venus like, Fly. Yeah, that yeah, was my I really like that one too. That's like the banger on yeah. the album, isn't it? That song that you could imagine going out and hearing come on. Yeah, that one was really good. I like the whole thing, really. Like yeah. Was, I listened to it on Spotify, but I'm definitely going to buy it. I think I need to listen to it some more to get into it, because it's not, it's not, I wouldn't be like, yeah, what an amazingly accessible album, mm, no. necessarily. Though, again, probably wouldn't say that about any of these, but I think they're all really worth the time and investment. I mean, I would say especially the Joanna Newsom one, which yeah. is maybe my favourite of hers. Yeah. Oh, no, I, it's definitely not my favourite Joanna Newsom album yet, no. but they're very much they're <laughs> they're, very I much see growers. some potential. <laughs> I, I, I see potential. Um, yeah, I definitely... At the time of speaking, her, <laughs> sec- of her, her second album is my favourite and her first one is my second favourite. So this one is currently third. Okay. Well, listeners, report back with your own Joanna Newsom pyramids of enjoyment. <laughs> it's very important, you know, not to sound like Nick Hornby or anything, but like it's very important to like have a ranking of these things in your head. <laughs> if we could all get some lists going, that would be great. Yeah. One thing that did get me into the festive spirit, surprisingly, uh, was Carol, the Todd Haynes movie that Caroline and I went to see together on Tuesday, last Tuesday. Yes, we went to a special preview screening with a Q&A with the director, which we will talk a bit more about in a minute. The film, I think, is just out released, yeah, isn't it? I think it, yeah, came out on Friday. And you've probably seen some of the press for it. It's, uh, it stars Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. It's an adaptation of a Patricia Highsmith novel, and it's a lesbian drama, I suppose. That's yeah, the thing that's getting quite a lot of... It has to have that it name. It has to have that name. It's also, I think, and I'm no film industry expert, but, but it's very clearly headed for the Oscars. What's your name? Therese. Therese Bellavet. And yours? Carol. The night. So Rooney Mara's character, Therese, is working uh, in a shop. A bit like Ailish in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's actually very similar because it's set in 1953. Yeah. Which is almost exactly when Brooklyn's yeah, set, yeah. isn't it's it? Yeah, de- so, it's definitely early yeah, 50s anyway. So, so Therese works in this big department store that apparently Patricia Highsmith, who wrote the book, also... Actually worked in she a similar wo- one. She worked in Bloomingdale. Bloomingdale. So this is... I can't remember the name of the shop in the film, but it's 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 meant to be Bloomingdale. It's so called something really silly like Frankenberg's or Frankenberg's something, something like that. Okay. Yeah, so it's this big department store in Manhattan and she works on the doll floor. Yeah, it's get, getting up to the holidays and she's got a Santa hat on at work well, and there are all these like nice train sets and basically she meets Kate Blanchett's character, Carol, when Carol comes in to buy a Christmas present for her daughter. It's as simple as that, really. Like Carol accidentally leaves her gloves behind. Accidentally, on, accidentally leaves her gloves behind on the counter. And since she's posting the present that she's bought for her daughter anyway, Therese makes sure to include the gloves in a note. And like she gets back to her and they go for lunch, and their relationship just sort of grows from there. They have an immediate chemistry, don't mm. they? From the moment Carol walks into the shop before they even speak, there's a real sense that there's there's like, oh, who's that magnetic woman stood over there? And she kind of stood behind a glass. The train set is in this glass display box yeah. and she's sort of partially obscured by it and then some people walk past and then she sort of disappears. And that sort of begins a theme in the film about, you know, trying to pin down a view of Carol as a human. Yeah. In the Q&A that we went to, Todd Haynes explained that he had a book, an image book, filled with visual references for this film. And what it didn't have a lot of was that sort of like, glamorous 50s Hollywood era type 
image because it just didn't seem appropriate because they wanted the realness, the reality of the story to come through. And it really challenges this idea that I think we're all sort of guilty of is believing that the 50s began in 1950. Mm. The 50s capital F began in, just as the 60s capital, capital F started in 1960. 1960. And of course, time and fashion and don't trend move don't way. move like that. That actually, the idea of the 50s as we think of it now, so all like women in big skirts and mm. bright colours and men in mm. sort of zoot suits and stuff, none of that really happened. Well, it all happened at different paces in different places. And if you were someone who worked in a shop in New York City in 1953, you did not wear umpteen petticoats and skirts that had six meters of material in them yeah though carol of course is a figure of considerable glamour she is very wealthy and thus stands out in the kind of slight drabness of teresa's life in in her kind of beautiful coats and her sort of lovely hats and her like amazing dresses but some quite a lot of her fashion looked to me like it was almost a bit 20s inspired yeah i i and 40s as well i did get I mean, she just looks amazing, doesn't yeah. she? And she's just a, such a brilliant actress. Carol really performs the part of like this glamorous image. Mm. And as the film goes on and as you get to know her better and as the relationship deepens, has to come through in the performance, uh, in Kate Blanchett's performance. She has an amazing gait and an amazing, you know, just way of being that seems so glamorous. And she softens that performance mm. as the film goes on in a really clever way. Uh, Carol is Therese's sort of like first human subject you know Mm. up until that point she's only been taking like landscapes and pictures of things she sees on the street and stuff part of her kind of growing interest and attraction to carol is the fact that she wants to photograph her that she wants to capture her we see more and more of this one of the great big motifs of the film is looking like looking through windows like looking round things sort of reflections and so on and it's all about trying to kind of see the essence of who this woman is she becomes very self-reliant and you get you get the feeling that right at the beginning of the film that she's always been self-reliant in a kind of financial and physical way, like she lives on her own and looks after herself and so on. But she's not necessarily that emotionally self-reliant. Like she has this boyfriend who she doesn't really like him, but she hangs out... Shout out to Plop from The Office yep. and also Obvious Child. Um, she hangs out with him and his friends because it just seems like the kind of thing that someone like her would do. Yeah, She doesn't really start questioning whether she actually wants to until she meets Carol. Yeah. She knows that, you know, he wants to marry her and like go to Europe with her and all this kind of stuff. And she knows that she doesn't really want to, but she also doesn't feel self-confident enough to say why not. There's also a sense that, you know, saying, oh, she hangs out with these people because it's something someone like her would do. There's also this running idea when she speaks to her, you know, boyfriend who becomes ex-boyfriend and people like that, that a girl like her does not have a lesbian relationship. And that's obviously structurally important to the plot is the is the taboo surrounding lesbian relationships because it's what prevents the characters from fully being together in a sense. That's where the tension of the film comes from. That's the driving force behind it. But it never, ever, as Todd Haynes said in the Q&A we went to, it's not an issues film. It never feels like this is a film about being a lesbian at this time. It's not. No. It's so much more subtle than that isn't it and so much more about treating people as like just two people who want to be in a relationship and not being like what does this mean for everyone else in the world who's gay and a lot of the the obstacles that are there to their relationship come from carol's ex-husband and you get the feeling that he's got this combination of this possessive obsession with her and also this 
this idea that he needs her in order to live the kind of life he wants to live like he needs the capable beautiful wife because on he wants on his arm because he's a successful businessman yeah, so definitely. he needs her for what she looks like and what she behaves like and there is a weird um, sense that without that they might have actually been you know they might, might have actually might, been fine there might have been no drama yeah but you get the sense that it doesn't matter who carol wants to be with instead of him the point yeah, is that she, she wants to be with anyone else who isn't him yeah I think we should start an ongoing podcast just called like misleading trailers. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Um, Such a misleading trailer. Yeah. Well, I actually loved the trailer for this film, but it, uh, one of the most interesting things about this film is its lack of emotional dialogue. Mm. There's barely any. I mean, the relationship between Therese and Carol goes completely verbally unacknowledged between them. They both, you know, she's saying, would you like to go on a road trip with me? And Therese says yes. And that obviously means something. And they both know that means something. And they both know that that probably means she's going to break up with her boyfriend before mm. she comes. But like, everything's really delayed. It's not, you know, it's not a film that sees these two people have sex immediately by any means. It's like everything's very slow and very gentle in that sense. And they never really say like, oh yeah, I love being with you. You know, there's no, no. there's no verbal no. exchanges about their relationships, which makes it a very difficult film to make a trailer for. So, because there's so no... they, for the trailer, they had to use bits of dialogue that other people say about them. Yeah, and bits of dialogue taken from completely other relationships mm. in their lives. So, for example, there's a whole, there's an ongoing plot about um, Carol's daughter and her Carol and her husband's daughter, and they take a lot of di- dialogue from that plot for the trailer, where they're, she's like we gave each other life's greatest gift and she means a child. And in Mm. the trailer, obviously, sounds like she's talking to Therese about their relationship. But that was one of the things that I found difficult about this film because I loved, loved the film, but I found it difficult to know what my emotions were watching it. It's not like Mm. some of the other big Oscar-winning, grand, lush love stories where, you know, your, your heart's in your throat and you're swallowing and trying to hold back the tears as they, you know, declare their undying love for each other outside a nice Regency National Trust house. <laughs> uh, it's not, it's not like that at all. I was like, I didn't cry in this film and I cry no. at everything. It, it's not dramatic. It's not emotionally dramatic. And when, when I was watching it, I thought that meant that I wasn't invested in it. But the fact that I've kept thinking about it since we saw it probably proves to me that I am invested in it. So I think that's quite a clever... It is very clever, and I think it's also... So yeah, this isn't a film that wears its heart on its sleeve at all, even though it is, you know, the big romance of the moment. I'd love to see it again, actually, I think. I was thinking about going to see it again as well, yeah. actually. And just because I, I, like, I want to pay more attention to the music, and yeah. there are a whole lots of things that I, I feel like I didn't pay enough attention to the first time. Before we end on this, we, we should say, I think, a little bit more about the Q&A that we went yes. to. Yes. Which was fantastic. I have been to a lot of Q&As for this kind of thing and I always find directors and and you know people who've made films disappointing. Mm. I I feel like sometimes I'm like, "Oh, you made this amazing film and you're not you don't sound very like you're talking about this very intelligently." Like people always act as though everything either was a bit of an accident, nothing to do with them, or they speak as though you know it was completely their vision and their vision alone that made everything brilliant. And Todd Haynes was so clear that this was a collaborative film and a collaborative effort but he was also very clearly able to talk about what he had in mind for the film and what his influences were in a really articulate really interesting engaging way that wasn't at all arrogant and i actually made me love the film even more yeah same here and also the fact that he didn't make any apology for the fact that he as a male director had made this entirely woman-centric film but he also just he made no point of this but he was constantly referencing 
like the female screenwriters and the female producers and the female designers and all of the women who'd worked and the actresses obviously all of the women who he'd worked with on the film yeah Um, and the fact that it's you know a film about female experience and yeah people like the producer who was sat next to us in the screening Mm. he kept name checking all her efforts and involvement everything of i don't know who this person was but the uh the sort of location hunter and set designer yeah. who took them. This whole film is filmed in Cincinnati, even though it's set in New York, and they found some really interesting places in Cincinnati that had loads of period details so still. So he, he made it really clear that it was a total collaborative effort. Yeah. It's like majority women in yeah. the, the named roles in the crew, which I just don't believe that happens very often. Mm. But he, he was name-checking all these people and making clear it was a collaboration, but not doing that really obnoxious thing of being like, yeah, yeah, the film is really great, but, you know, it was like a team effort. Yeah. He yeah. was actually <laughs> saying, so, like you say, like, so-and-so is our location manager and she was instrumental to the film being how it is in these ways. Yeah, exactly. And also, obviously, this this is a novel written by a woman yeah. about women's experience. One of the things we both found really interesting from the Q&A was the amount he talked about contemporary photographers yes. from that time. And he did repeatedly say that the people who were perhaps most influential in getting them to try and create this vision of a 1950s New York that was more real was less like the 1950s New York we tend to see on screen were the female photojournalists at the time who were documenting a sort of city that he called called it like dirty and sagging. Yeah. And that, you know, so that's like Ruth Orkin, Helen Levitt, Esther Bubbly or Boo Boobly, I don't mm. know. Uh, and that that really struck a chord with me that he was like, you know what, this is a film about women in their in in this environment, and let's look back at what the women at the time were sort of saying about this period through their artwork. Particularly since one of the women characters in the film is a yeah. photographer, it just makes total sense to yeah. to get as close to her experience as you can. Exactly. So I was really impressed with how he spoke about it, mm. and it gave me a whole new appreciation of of the film. Which I'm really excited to see again, I think, and would recommend everyone go and see it. Absolutely. And actually, I think I'm going to go and try and watch some more Todd Haynes movies now yeah, as well. Yeah, me too. I mean, I don't know. Is this the one that everyone's being like, yeah, this is his best? I'm not sure, to be honest. I knew that he made that Mildred Pierce series for mm. HBO, although I haven't seen it. And mm. I knew that it was supposed to be very good. But I'm, I'm not massively aware of his output generally. I want to go and read a Patricia Highsmith novel. That too, I've never that read too. any. That's probably next for me. <laughs> Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 
Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So last week, I recommended Anna the web series X Best, mm-hmm. which is a little drama about in sort of four or five minute episodes. Yeah, they're very short. Two women who were formerly best friends and now aren't anymore. And it's about the fallout from their friendship breakup. Anna, what did you make of it? Oh, it's an odd one because it's funny, but I'm also really sad <laughs> when I watch it. So, I, I mean, they're not very clear on why they fell out, are they? They no. went on holiday together for work. They went to Iceland together for seven days. I think it's Iceland. Yeah. They were trapped in the hotel with each other all the time because it was just dark all the time outside and they had nothing to do and it was cold. But there's not like one major argument. One of the girls says, oh, you know that thing she does? That awful thing with the talking? Yeah. <laughs> that's basically all you get of like why they actually fell out you have been known to overreact you weren't there we are completely different people and that thing the thing she does with her talking I just I don't know how she lives in this world which is odd for me because I have some really, you know, close female friendships and I know that if we did have one of these, like, dramatic, if, if they became an ex-best, mm. it would be because of a very particular, you know, big argument. I don't think it would just be because we started finding each other really annoying. I don't think that's necessarily enough to tip you over the edge in these yeah, kinds of... Yeah, the sense I sort of got to by the end of this is that they just spend too much time together. Yeah. Because they work together, they seem to have all the same mutual friends... And they just spent a whole week's holiday with each other. Mm. So I sort of wondered whether it was just, in this case, it was cumulative. Maybe. Basically, you've summed up what it, the drama is about, is that they like have to keep seeing each other every day. It seems <laughs> like, because they work together and they have all the same friends. And yeah, it's just all a bit much. For me, if you're going to break up with a friend, pick someone you're not going to see every day. <laughs> yeah, that was my well, I think, advice. I think that's the problem. I sort of feel like they would have... Since there doesn't seem to be a kind of There's big, no end in sight, a big instigating incident. If they didn't have to see each other every day, if they could have just not spoken for two weeks afterwards. Maybe they'd they have got over maybe it. Maybe they would have got over it. Yeah. But it's and obviously this is where the tension and the drama comes from. The fact that they do have to see each other every day means that there's no opportunity to sort of forgive. Yeah. And there's the kind of constant little retaliations and office harms they do each other. Yeah, the office is really funny. They work at this office called Behold. Like the company's called like Behold. And they, like, it's really unclear what it does, but they like have channels and they're like, you can do the Be Free channel and the Be Loved channel. It, it's sort of like Pinterest. I think yeah. it's like Pinterest, but for like aspirational yuppies. It's anyway, awful. Yeah, and one of the two girls sits on like a, uh, 
what's that called like an exercise ball oh it's like, so annoying sitting, like bouncing up and down all day while she's at work and it looks so annoying and she's like eating yogurts and watching videos of pugs all day <laughs> on her little thing and then when someone comes over to tell her to do some work she like she wears a headset and she like just taps the ear on the headset as if to be like i'm in a call when she's just not she's which just is work- like what a great idea like maybe i should just buy a headset and at work be like sorry busy <laughs> <laughs> basically it's that classic kind of and i feel like i have been in these situations before where like i'll have had like a violent falling out with one of my best friends and then someone else will be like oh you know how's clara and i'll be like yeah she's really good and that yeah she's loving her life and i'll be like oh my god i don't want to talk about her right now she's so annoying and i hate her (laughs) Uh, so there's a lot of that where like for example one of the girls' boyfriend's friend is dating the other girl in the friendship and he's like so you know what's she like give me the she's like um obviously she's she's really pretty and he's like yeah but what is she like he's sort of like um She's just like eating this bag of popcorn. She like just doesn't know what to say at all. She's like she's she's got a really really strong sense of self. Yeah, she can't <laughs> think of anything nice to say. Um, and all that stuff is like really funny to me. Mm. And then there's a whole other sort of thread where they're just trying to get on with the rest of their lives, basically. Yeah. And like you know, embarrassing things keep happening. Like they get shut in cupboards and that that kind of stuff. It could be any it could be any sort of millennial new york based show i I definitely see it existing in a in that kind of space with girls and broad city and obvious child or that we've talked about before kind of like young women trying to sort out adult adult life in new york yeah and i think for me the stronger bits are the bit about the having the friendship end yeah um and having to deal with that and like even just like for example the bit where she cried about it in the very first episode one of the one of them just like cries about it to her boyfriend and is like can't put her phone down even as he's like trying to have sex with mm. her because he, she's like is she just never going to speak to me again is this what my life's going to be like now she, we're just never going to text that stuff is i feel like maybe not so common i think the stuff no. that was original about it was the best stuff basically yes and those were those little bits which were like actually a glimpse of what happens if you do lose someone who's really dear to you who's not someone that you're having sex with yeah and and it's like being in a sort of relationship breakup where like many things about relationships now all the different channels of communication that you have just make it oh there's a really good line actually from that tina fey has in 30 rock about this where she's got like a a teenager in her office to help her with some reason and this teenager is doing this monologue about how you know like i mean i poked her on facebook but like he didn't put me back and then i sent him a whatsapp but then also like i commented on something on the instagram and like she's laying out all the different ways and tina fey just interrupts and she's like oh my god there are just so many ways for boys to ignore you now yeah <laughs> and that's kind of how you feel these girls are in the situation yeah. like not only do they work in each other's presence every day not only do they have to ignore each other in the work yeah bathroom. they have they have all of these open channels of communication yeah. that are now closed and off mutual friends yeah like they don't they're not even all digital channels of communication but like there are so many of them so i i watched the first six i think mm. and i'm definitely going to watch the other half of the series so. yeah you i mean i think there's 12 or 13 altogether yeah. you can it's basically like just over an hour of television altogether. yeah yeah so i'm, I'm gonna finish watching it because i'm curious as to how it goes and I think it's a mixed bag. And I would, and also in general, I would love to see more stuff on TV about like properly breaking up with a mm. friend because they kind of do it in girls, but you always know in girls that they're going to get back together in a weird Cause, way because that's the sort of premise of the yeah, show. Yeah, and it, it does yeah. work best when they're all like seeing each other regularly on that mm. show. I get bored when like that we're just literally following each of their individual plot lines and they're not communicating with each other. Yeah. I did did find that boring. 
But I think, you know, it's easy to slide into stereotypes here and be like, women can be really bitchy. <laughs> but I do think female friendships can tend toward intensity compared yeah. to male friendships. And I think it's often that's just celebrated and like talked about all the nice aspects of that. But that, that can be really difficult too, because you have to put loads yeah. of effort into your friendships if they're really and close. I don't believe that this really happens with boys particularly at school age but I had this thing happen to me when I think I was 14 in year nine Mm. and at the time I was hanging out with four other girls and we were like a group of five and we were always a five we did everything together and then one day I just came into school and one of the girls was just not speaking to me and she did not speak to me for the next four years Jesus and you know for like three weeks I like obsessively asked everyone are you sure you didn't murder a pet whilst in a trance (laughs) or something that is eventually I had to come to the conclusion that I'd done something dreadful really terrible and had like blotted out all memory of it repressed it but this is but this is the thing that like um that's that's the bad side of the intensity of female friendships that yeah the intensity of liking also can become an intensity of disliking yeah and also sometimes i've I, you know i've had situations with a friend where it's been like you know what we really love each other but we actually just can't be friends and it is like a relationship breakup mm. it's like oh you know I've, I've i obviously was attracted to you and we obviously had loads of fun together but there's just like something there's an inherent obstacle here we're not going to get over so it's probably best if we just part ways mm. and that's like not something anyone is ever encouraged to do no. or like I mean, maybe it's not a good thing to do who knows but it do- i'm sure it does happen for a lot of people and that means it's something that we should look at on telly mm. so yeah. i applaud the premise of the show definitely and i'd be really interested to see where else it could go in you know in a longer form and that mm. kind of thing where it does is able to give more space to that one plot line yeah so we'll put a link to all the videos in the show notes and also if you have experiences or perspectives on this kind of breakups yeah we, get w- we would like to know because i just don't think it's something that gets talked talk about, about that all that much so it would be nice to know um what your experiences yeah especially are. as well if there are other programs that you can yes. deal with as well yeah so i'd like to see that Where it doesn't end with them all crying and hugging and becoming best friends again. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) So, Caroline, for you, as a recommend, I would like to give you what I think is currently the best TV show on on UK television. Um, It's on BBC4, weirdly, because that's not normally where I get my kicks, but sure. Uh, And it's called Detectorists, and it's a comedy, a sitcom, about two detectorists, which are people who go around with metal detectors looking for treasure. It's Toby Jones and Mackenzie Crook as two best friends who go out with their metal detectors. They're very keen to let you know that the name of someone who uses a metal detector is not a detector, but a detectorist, (laughs) hence the title of the programme. And they are both part of like a local detectorist club and they go out all the time and try and they're trying to find some stuff that they think there's like an Anglo-Saxon, you know, like burial site or something (laughs) beneath one of the one of the hills. Um... And yeah, I I think it's really funny, but it's like obviously not like um, a kind of crass or laugh out loud necessarily, you know, in your face humour. It's a gentle humour, but we, we're fans of a gentle humour, are, aren't yeah. we? So I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. We have a special request of our listeners. We are turning our thoughts to Christmas and we want to do a special episode all about Christmas television, how you watch it, what you enjoy and so on. So we would like to hear from you. All our contact details can be found on newstatesman.com forward slash SRSLY. Please get in touch. So, Caroline. Yes. 
Oh, sorry, I'm listening. Sorry, we're recording. Uh, well, you're on a podcast right now, I don't know if you realise. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.